As the saying goes, when life gives you lemons, make yourself a glass of lemonade and then sip it while walking from one end of the United States to the other while raising awareness for Parkinson's disease. Our guest Bill Bucklew waxes philosophic as he shares his journey through a diagnosis of young onset Parkinson's in his early 40s. Not one to let it slow him down, it launched a series of finishes from Ironman Wisconsin, a stroll from Georgia to California, and has put him in line to earn his six stars of the Abbott World Marathon Majors. This is a conversation I think will stay with me for the rest of my life. Bill is a super inspiring guy, a totally unassuming savage, as you will see. I think you're going to love hearing his words and his story. So if you're ready for the show, crank it up and let's go. Welcome to the Athlinks Podcast. I am your host, Troy Busseau, coming to you from the sun-kissed hills of Broomfield, Colorado. It is December 9th, 2020, and this is episode 16. How you doing, Bill? I'm doing great, Troy. Thanks. It is. Uh, it's really, really great having you on the show today. Today we have Bill Bucklew. I hope I'm pronouncing that. I don't think there's any other way I could pronounce it. So, no, yep, you're right on. Perfect. So you were connected um, to me by Lorna Campbell from the Abbott World uh, Marathon Majors. Uh, we reached out to some folks and asked for some, you know, great people to talk to. And you are kind of smack dab. Um, in the middle, well, actually you're past smack dab, uh, of the middle of getting your six stars in the, uh, world marathon majors. So you're four out of six down so far. Yeah, that's exactly right. I have, uh, London and Tokyo to go. Yeah. So, yeah. And you're, you're kind of like, you got a little asterisk on the London cause I saw you did a, a virtual <laughs> London on your athletes profile. So you're, we won't count that, but that's, that's part of the, part yeah, of the journey. And- the time uh, to finish that indicates that I took some liberties with that uh, <laughs> virtual run within the constraints given by the administration, of course. Did you, uh, you <laughs> Meaning I may have had a beer at lunch yeah. during the run. You know? <laughs> yeah, so you have, um, you have a, an interesting story along your six-star route because you are not only um, completing, your goal was to complete them in order, sort of in one go, but you're also right. doing this with a Parkinson's diagnosis under your belt as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, you know, I've been running uh, marathons for a few years now and got excited about the prospect of, uh, and got in, which is even harder <laughs> to all these marathons to run them in a row and seem like a really good idea, look great on paper and, you know, smacked into the, as everyone else, the COVID crisis here and uh, yeah. put a little bit of a pause on it but uh, yeah so you've done so far Berlin New York Chicago and Boston is that that's correct yeah yep. that's correct yeah yep. um, and so yep. <clears throat> going back a little ways here so you're a young guy you're I think you're a year older than me or, or two um, yeah you're f- uh, 51 um, I'm 49. Yes. This is not a, a, a red 4% of all cases. Parkinson's cases are, are under the age of 50, and you were diagnosed, you were diagnosed uh, in 2012, but it sounds like you might have even had it even earlier than that. Yeah, in 2005, I had a running club called the Running of the Gerbils, and we'd run on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and we live in Chicago here, so on the treadmills during the winter, and you know, it was a spring morning, and we were running outside for the first time, and I had a tight right leg, and um, that continued subsequently for several weeks after that, and uh, 
sought diagnosis through just everything from sports medicine specialists to chiropractors to yeah. orthopedists and was diagnosed with um, sciatica. Um, so went through a seven-year period of misdiagnosis to be ultimately diagnosed with yeah. Parkinson's in 2012. And, you know, to your point, being in my early 40s, I didn't even know what Parkinson's really was. I knew right. it was a disease that affected older people, but it was like a punch in the stomach. You know, I had no clue just out of nowhere. Yeah. I didn't realize that there isn't just a Parkinson's test. It doesn't show up on a blood test or anything like that. It's more a collection of symptoms that then ultimately has to be diagnosed. That's right. And everybody's affected differently too. So, you know, my reason, of primary reason I wasn't properly diagnosed was I didn't have the classic kind of tremor that people are aware of the disease associated with it. I had uh, significant rigidity on the right side of my body. Um, and, uh, you know, so they thought with a little bit of what I call tall man's disease, little L3, L4 degenerative disc disease, just mild, but mm. they, they thought with that pathology that I had sciatica. So, wow. So I worked on my core. I had an amazing core for seven years <laughs> and it didn't solve the problem. But, wow. Yeah. What was the, what was the sort of straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, where you finally, it was it just speaking to the right doctor or did you start to manifest in different ways that, that made it more obvious? I, I really started thinking I had a mental issue mm. and I was creating the problem myself because I had seen so many specialists and nobody was able to figure out what was going on. So I started looking at myself and um, I was actually at dinner with a good friend of mine who was going in to get um, his PhD in a statistical area. And actually, he was going to be studying Parkinson's disease. And I was telling him about the problems I had. And he said, hey, Bill, you know, I don't know what you have exactly, but you should see a movement uh, disorder specialist mm. to, just to get it checked out. And that's what I did right after that discussion and that's when i found out that i had parkinson's wow yeah. so they were just like, able I, mean, to I googled googled things a million times to sunday and seen all these specialists and nobody nobody could figure it out so, so. this this uh, movement specialist was just able to see like at a more minute level that you were exhibiting some of the behaviors that weren't maybe as traditional in the tremors but um, you know, the, yeah. Uh, you know, and at that point, um, I had some subtle things after that period of seven years, things had gotten progressively a little bit worse. Things like my handwriting, um, got smaller, which is kind of a strange kind of thing that happens. Um, and the swing in my right arm, which I didn't even really realize. Um, and I went back and watched videos of myself in that, that era. And I can see it. My right arm was swinging less than my left arm. And, huh. So they're very in tune to these kind of subtleties of the manifestation of the disease that, you know, even people who have it aren't, you know. Huh. Is it, is it affecting you bilaterally or it sounds like your symptoms are more concentrated on the right side? Yeah, it's very common for it to start on one side of the body or the other and then progress over time to then gradually affect the other side. So it was the right side of my body was really affected and it was most noticeable in my leg just because I was running and exercise kind of aggravates it a little bit too yeah. and causes it to, to become a little worse. So when it, um, the, the, the muscle movement, is it more a limitation or a, um, an affectation of the brain, the muscle 
signal or like if you were to lay down on a table with a physical therapist, is your range of motion fully there or is it limited in um, some way? The range of motion is less and the stiffness or rigidity I'm speaking of is apparent to a third party. Like if I completely relax and this is actually one of the tests they run, they kind of will move your head around. They move your arms and your legs. They would feel that kind of rigidity mm. in my limbs and everything else. Yeah. Is it, is it painful while you have that rigidity or, or in general? It's, um, there's two things. There's the rigidity and then there's something called dystonia. Um, and the rigidity in and of itself isn't painful if I'm just sitting here, okay. but it, um, creates all sorts of problems when I'm exercising biomechanically. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I'm riding a bicycle or running, um, it's almost like, I always tell people, it's like, I have a wooden leg, like a pirate's leg or something, wow. you know? Um, so I kind of have to compensate with the left side of my body. And then the dystonia is, um, kind of this, it, you can think of it as like a tightening of the muscles involuntarily. So that happens in my, my foot and that can come out and manifest itself at any time. And okay. I don't and has it, uh, so you say it, it can affect you at any time. Has it affected you in a race or in your training? Yeah, I mean, it just recently I ran the uh, right under the wire here with COVID. I ran the Napa Valley Marathon in March okay. of this year, and I had severe dystonia through most of the race. It actually tore a quite a significant hole in the side of my shoe. Um, I'm a big wine fan, and uh, they did an article on me. I was on the cover of the Napa Valley Time, which a register and. Uh, you know, that's like huge for me. I'm super excited. <laughs> and I've got this massive hole in my shoe, you know, I look wow. like. So wait, so crazy. back, so the dystonia happening in your foot was mm. to a point, does it feel like, a, like, is it actually cramping or is it just like, you're just making a fist with your foot? It's, I mean, think of it almost like you're making a fist with your foot, but you're not doing it. Right. It's doing it itself and okay. you can't, can't prevent it from happening, you know? So I'm running with like my toes kind of curled in and my foot kind of curled over. And um, you can imagine what I look like. I'm yeah. very inelegant looking. I'm kind of hopping almost as I run. So it's uh, it, it, my left side of my body is doing a lot more work than uh, traditionally would need to do. Wow. And so to the point, it was flexing your, your foot enough inside your shoe that it blew a hole outside, out the side of your, your shoe. Correct. Yeah. Wow. And I, and I wear through shoes much faster than traditionally the 200 to 300 miles you get out of a shoe. I'll be in the one somethings wow. on the shoes and I just wear the back off my right shoe completely. Back. So if you know anybody who literally has two left feet, I've got a ton of shoes that have a lot of miles. <laughs> left <on for> them. <laughs> you can put them on eBay. Wow. Yeah, right. Good That's hilarious. There. Wow. So why, why the back of the shoe? Why is it? Um, yeah. Why the back? Um, so I drag stress? my leg. Okay. I drag, yeah. I drag my leg when I run um, on the right side. So every step is kind of like uh, just shuffling that foot yeah. along and, uh, the pavement just grinds, grinds off the, the bottom. Wow. So I'm looking at your, um, at your Napa time was a five and a half. I mean, which isn't, you know, 
you're not going to qualify for Boston, but there's also, you know, there's lots of people who are slower than you on course. Are I mean, it sounds well, like you're sort of in this half. I mean, does it hurt when this is all going down or is it just aggravating? Well, what I do is I, I am very competitive in general, yeah. but I have taught myself to just let these things go now with the time. So I will freely admit that in the middle of the Napa Valley Marathon, I called a winery and set up a wine tasting and we had a wine tasting up mile 13, something like that. Um, and they were very generous and, you know, I have to, you know, I have to do that. I have to have some fun and take a break because my leg is just needs a little rest and recovery wow. and all. So, uh, and I do that in almost every race. Now I have some okay. kind of little, little, window of fun there so you are literally stopping and smelling the roses right, yeah. <laughs> right. well that's yeah. fantastic that's a that's kind of an interesting you know I've, i was talking to somebody recently about um uh we we interviewed the race director from unpaved which was a gravel race in pennsylvania and they adopted some enduro uh scoring rules so the way enduro bike racing works is you're not timed on the uphills you're only timed on the descent. So it allows you to sort of catch your breath and they want, they want the best performances out of you. And with COVID and social distancing and things, and just the sort of destruction of our industry and coming back, I think there's an opportunity in, in things like marathon where you have to complete the 26 miles, 26.2 miles, but maybe you only time a handful of segments on them. Um, and so right. you might put in a six hour day with your friends and things, but then you're only, you know, you're timing like a couple 5k segments or heartbreak Hill in Boston, you know, like those types of situations. So it almost sounds like you're, you're a little ahead of, ahead of the curve on how you're experiencing these races. Yeah. I'd like to say it's because I'm so progressive. I had a vision for that, <laughs> but uh, it's not the case. And the reality is, you know, I, I think when you're running these races, it's such a rare opportunity to see the the culture and the kind of nuances of the cities and everything else in a way you never will get a chance to do it again. So if you if you're just staring at the ground in front of you and running, that that and that's good for you, great. But for me, since I'm not going to be breaking any world records, you know, I'm I'm there to really soak it up and get the most out of the experience. And you know, in the Napa Marathon, I played drums with one of the drummers on the sidelines, and um, you know, I talk to people, and I just really try and just have a blast with it. That's awesome. That is yeah. awesome. Well, you're. I mean, I got to say, you're a bit of a savage. I mean, talking to you a little bit yesterday and then and going through some of your story here, were you all, like, um, well, I'll come back to this. There's a question that I want to ask you in a little bit about this, but I want to get a little bit more of the backstory before I do. Um, so were you always um, a, a distance runner? Was this something that, that, um, that you had, you know, like, were you a high school cross country athlete, that type of thing? Yeah, I, I really kind of came into running in a strange, strange way. You know, I played a lot of sports growing up. I played basketball and soccer and I swam and all of that. Um, when seventh grade came around and my basketball coach actually required us to um, run cross country. Mm. So, um, you know, I started running cross country and I, I will say I don't think I necessarily had a, a real talent for it. 
um, I had the archetype. I was just a rail of a kid and everything else, but um, I found out I had a mental toughness that really helped me okay. um, a lot um, and it still serves me well to this day. But yeah, so I kind of came into running through uh, basketball. Okay. And so you recognized at that young age that you were a pretty mentally tough guy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because, um, you know, I wasn't fast as a runner at all. And, um, I think my endurance was heavily predicated on my ability to take an immense amount of pain. Yeah. That's interesting. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's interesting. And so when, when did you get into running? You, you mentioned that when you started, you know, mid thirties, when you started having these symptoms, you were, you know, you already had a running club at the the, the hamsters and, and thing or gerbils. Uh, so when yeah. did you start getting into running, I guess, as, as more of an adult? Yeah. I, you know, I had this kind of, um, kind of self-developed ethos of trying to experience different things. So in 99, I decided I was going to run the Chicago marathon. Um, and I really hadn't run any real long distances like that before. Um, and, uh, ended up completing that and it was a great experience. And then, um, I wanted to do an Olympic triathlon and I ended up doing that a few years later. And, uh, you know, and then I was pretty satisfied with that, you know, and, uh, did some mountain climbing and, um, all sorts of other yeah. kind of adventure sports. So I, I kind of dipped my toes into the water as an adult to experience running, enjoyed it, got a lot out of it, but it was off onto kind of some other tangents and everything else, which, um, <clears throat> what brought me back to running was Parkinson's, you know, and the reason that brought me back to running is the only thing that slows the progression in Parkinson's disease is exercise. No medications or anything like that that are currently available are known to slow the progression. So when I learned I had Parkinson's disease and I did the research and found out that exercise is the only thing that does that, um, I really started ramping up the running. Okay. So it was, it was pretty casual then with the gerbils. Yeah. 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 It was, uh, it was to kind of stay in shape over the winter. And, uh, plus I just had a lot of great friends that, yeah. uh, it was just really a blast to do it, you know, at, yeah. at lunch and that kind of thing. So. It's interesting. The number of things that you're interested in these kind of one year journeys that you go on, I'm always mm-hmm. curious as to why you think like, why is running the thing that, um, you know, you mentioned basketball and, yeah. and yes, some, some people do go back and play pickup basketball as adults, but not, I think to the, you know, 13 to 15 million Americans that go and run, or, you know, if you look at running right. shoe statistics, it's 50 million. Yeah, um, right. you know, what is it about running to you that kind of it makes it your go-to form of exercise going into your thirties that, that really sparked your, uh, interest? Yeah. It's two things. I came home from my basketball league uh, one year with a broken nose and a broken finger. And my wife looked at me and said, you know, you're really, what are you doing? You you know, you're, you're really too old to be doing this. Um, And, you know, it's harder to coordinate those types of things, right. With, with individuals and running is just so amazing because you can just throw your shoes on and just go at any time. Yeah. Um, I love the purity of it. But then I do run with other people too. And I, I like the social aspect of it over like swimming or something like right. that, where you're kind of a, in a solo 
yeah. solo event. So yeah, yeah, I think uh, you know combination of a few factors there. Yeah, it's it's, it's like thinking about basketball. Like if I, if I put up thirty bricks in a row, it's not fun to play <laughs> basketball. Versus I can run at a you know eleven minute pace, you know, with a couple of buddies and chatting, and it's a blast. Yeah, and you know, I I just all the sports that I've participated in and the exercise I do in cross training, I can never get my heart rate up the way I do when I run. Um, you know, I just, I went running today um, on the beach here in uh, Lake Michigan for at lunch for just three miles. Yeah. And I just feel mentally so amazing afterwards. Yeah. You know, I feel like I'm sharper and I'm energized and uh, it's just a great boost for me too. So I love it. It is. It's, it's easy to, uh, it's easy to fall in love with. Are you familiar with the, um, the study? It was actually out of Colorado university of Colorado up the street here. The on Schultz medical campus did, a. um, it's on the DJ one gene blocker that, um, that vigorous exercise, uh, and it blocks, uh, alpha, I'm going to say this wrong synucleine protein, which is, is yeah. 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 yeah, I'm generally familiar with that. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, that that protein is kind of a problem child for Parkinson's and everything else. So. That's interesting because I was thinking when you were when you were kind of telling your story yesterday about now you you say you were pretty casual at it, but it's 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 ironic to think that an avid runner is essentially blocking um, symptoms while they're develop. You know, so it could lead to later um, uh, diagnosis basically, because you're, you're effectively blocking those, those symptoms while they're starting to develop in your body. And then, you know, so maybe because you were even at a casual level doing this running, you weren't getting the tremors and things like that. Yeah, I think that's right. And, um, you know, I just had a major injury in, um, March. I, uh, ruptured the quad on my left leg completely off my knee and I wasn't able to exercise at the same level due to that. It's a very severe injury. Um, I was trying, I was walking long distance on crutches, much to my doctor's dismay. And I actually installed a a speed bag in my house and was doing that. But um, I noticed my symptoms got a lot worse in that period. In what Um, way? um, every way. Everywhere. So I had more of a tremor. I was feeling lethargic. Um, you know, I had more rigidity and, uh, then started physically recovering and, um, you know, saw my symptoms regress and get better over time. So wow. I really have had, um, a unique view of the impact that exercise has had on me. And wow. It's significant. So it is that it's that stark when you're doing it, it's better when you're not, it's just that easy. For sure. And, you know, it's one of the driving forces for me in sharing information with people is to share that and try and help people to find exercise programs that have neurological diseases because it's been so impactful for me. Have you, have you tried other forms of therapy, like whether it's acupuncture, things like that, or diet and, and, uh, meditation, any, any of anything else work or not work? For yeah, I've, I've done some yoga and I kind of utilize some of the yoga techniques to kind of stress is definitely an inducer of symptomatic being with Parkinson's, um, and then diet as well. So um, my family gives me a lot of trouble. I, I, I don't like labels anyway. Um, but I, I went kind of quasi vegan last year 
to be more anti-inflammatory in the system. Okay. Um, of course, my family catches me, quote unquote, mm. sneaking food that doesn't quite qualify. Those but, midnight steaks. Yeah, but for me, you know, uh, if I'm 75% healthier in that spectrum, then yeah. uh, that's that's really helpful. So I've been eating a lot more vegetables and fruits and uh, things like that. And I believe that anti-inflammatory components of the Mediterranean diet also uh, is very impactful for people living with Parkinson's and things. Yeah. Have you noticed like bread, grains, gluten, that type of thing? I have a an issue with asthma is the reason that I, I ask. And I no. for 10 years, I was exercise-induced asthma, had to run with an inhaler. And within a week of quitting bread and grains, I it completely went away. Oh, that's, that's it, it amazing. That no, I mean, you know, I hate to say it this way, but uh, thankfully, no. Um, I love pizza. It's one of my, I love to cook too. Yeah. And I, I make my own pizza dough from scratch and everything mm-hmm. else. And um, I, I don't know what I would do if I couldn't have my bread <laughs> and pizza. It's tough. You know? Yeah, it is tough. Yeah. But that's the only thing I haven't noticed was any gluten related kind of uh, benefits. Yeah. Have you hooked up with other runners who, who are uh, at varying stages of Parkinson's and compared notes and. Yeah. Yeah, we actually have a couple social groups. Um, everybody kind of in my segment of this early onset group, and I have a large network of friends that kind of fall into that category, are typically runners in some level. So um, we have some offline groups where we share information. You know, if I'm having a problem with something, I'll definitely bounce it off of them. And uh, we have a, actually a pretty big Facebook page on it, Runners with Parkinson's, where People post questions all the time, and uh, it's it's really that has been really impactful. Um, you know, one of the things I did was I came out right away with my diagnosis, which is rare, and I was actually advised by a lot of people not to do that, um, but be, because I didn't really have overt symptoms, and you know. Um, could affect my career and everything, but I came out within two weeks of it and it was life-changing because of just what you mentioned. I could openly then start networking and talking to people and getting involved and helping to find a cure and all those things, which helped drive me today and and are real positive components to my life. So, yeah, it seems to me that like the identification of that protein being, you know, sort of the nefarious actor in all of this would seem to give mm-hmm. a, a lot of hope in terms of being able, it was the first time that they had really isolated in 2017 why exercise, they knew forever exercise worked really well, but they couldn't exactly say why. So that seems like such a huge breakthrough, understanding the chemistry there. And uh, I don't know if that's chemistry or biology, but uh, well, one of the two. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I think historically, the perspective on brain health was always, you know, do the New York Times crossword puzzle every day, and your brain health is going to really benefit from it. And um, now it's really clear your brain is like a muscle and exercising at a high intensity builds that muscle strength against degradation, not only for diseases like Parkinson's, but dementia, Alzheimer's, any neurodegenerative disease, exercise is going to help protect your brain against those forces. So yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's really amazing the science, how it's emerging. Wow. Um, do you do like, do you weight lift and things like that? Or do you like, does, um, I guess my real question, I, 
you can answer that. But um, I guess aerobic versus anaerobic, do you notice a, a difference when you go super high heart rate, shorter, like, you know, high in, high intensity interval training versus like running and things like that? Yeah. So I have the fortune of working with some of the scientists that are at the leading edge of the field of this study. And I've seen all the data behind the scenes and intensity of exercise as measured by heart rate has a um, increased effect based on the current data that's out there, meaning like cohorts that run, they'll run a, a group to 60% maximum heart rate, 70%, 80% in each subsequent segment of a higher heart rate target for the exercise, they're seeing more benefits in wow. aggregate. Now these studies need to be done and there's one kicking off now, stage three, which is as we're all well-educated on stage three based on COVID is, you know, these very broad studies yeah. that you get more data in. But if the, the data holds that um, intensity is, is actually quite critical to uh, the impact of what you're doing. Got it. Uh, still doing it at low intensity is better than not doing it sure. at all. But yeah. higher intensity matters. Have you thought about like, after you finish your, um, um, your six stars on the uh, marathon majors, or have you thought about going like shorter distance or more, more high, high heart rate types of things like the mile and things like that? Well, I'm actually, uh, <laughs> I've got a lot of uh, races on the books right now and I'm actually going longer distance. Okay. So okay. I'm doing marathon to sub in April. Okay. Um, and we just got a note from those guys that that looks like that's going to go. That's a 250 kilometer race. And I have a hundred mile race in Kettle Moraine that got pushed in September that I'm signed up for. So, uh, it'll be interesting. I think my experience in those two races will be heavily determinant <laughs> as to what my course of going shorter or longer in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well it'll be interesting to see how, how you feel on, on each of those um, yeah. situations and how many pairs of shoes you'll burn, how many right shoes you'll burn through on some of those races. Yeah. I hope, I hope right. it's, I, I hope it's just your one. I know the, the marathon to sub, you have to carry everything with you. And I have a size 14 and a half shoe that I wear. So I really don't want to carry an extra pair of shoes. Wow. With me if I want to. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, you, you wear the same size shoe as my son. I'm five, eight and a half ish. And, uh, my son's six, three wears a size 14 and a half shoes. So I don't know where oh he gosh. got that from, but yeah. Well, if I run into him, it'll be at the Nordstrom rack, right? It's the only <laughs> yeah. place that carries the size 14 and above. Yeah. We always have to special order his socks and shoes. So yeah, yeah I, my, my son's on the same spectrum. So he's a freshman in high school. He's six, three, and wow. he's got a size 12 right now. So it's growing like by judging by the fact that he keeps eating all my food, he's growing quite, quite fast. Yeah. yeah. That's similar to my son. I think he was six, two as a freshman. He's only grown a little bit. So he's, he's like, please let this be over. He that's this is as tall as he wants to be, but uh, we're worried about that sort of, you know, post high school college spurt that a lot of guys go through. So we'll, we'll see how he goes. Yeah, I see my son pitching on the baseball field. We just bought him the uniform two months earlier, and it's already raking up towards his knee. You know, it's like, oh god. Well, baseball is kind of a cool sport for that. Like, you can't really, yeah. you know, like yeah, they're a little right. high, but that's fine. That's the way it's supposed right. to be. Yeah, it's the it's the tweener that's not a good look. You yeah. got to go all the way or or not. Right? Yeah, so. yeah. Well, it'll be another Randy Johnson here. Um. <laughs> right. 
So your 2012 diagnosis, you did what um, I think just so many of us do, which was you just, just decide, well, if, you know, who knows how long I'll be able to do this. I'm going to go do an Ironman. So <laughs> you just, you sort of took, you know, what I yeah. think, what I think a lot right. of people would look at that diagnosis and woe is me kind of thing. And you said, all right, well, let's throw this one in the backpack and get on a bike for 112 miles. Yeah. yeah I, you know, I, the the diagnosis does a couple things or did a couple things to me. I don't mean that to say it does that for everyone, but you know, it, it gave me a sense of urgency around doing some of these things that I'd always had on a wish list and probably would never have gotten to had I not been diagnosed. And, um, you know, I think for me too, I can procrastinate on things. So if I have a Ironman out there um, staring me in the face, I'm going to exercise every morning, regardless of how I feel. And yeah. it, it really helps drive me to, to stay engaged and exercise. But um, yeah, and I, I've developed a lack of fear of failure too, which is great. So I took that on and it yeah. was amazing. And, uh, you know, every time I do something like that, um, I realized that I haven't found my limit yet. Right. And yeah. uh, I was scared to death of doing that, especially working full time and, you know, everything else and not really being able to train as well as much as I would have loved to train, but then still getting through it, completing it and coming out the other side. Um, I realized that, wow, what else can I do? Yeah. You know, yeah, and, no uh, kidding. that's really exciting. Um, it, it's really impressive. Like, did you, um, the fear of failure side of things is, do you point directly to that sort of, um, being diagnosed with Parkinson's and kind of thinking like, well, who cares at this point? Like who cares if you fail at a, at a race, you have bigger things going on or were you already like, did you already have that kind of mindset going in? I think, you know, it developed slowly because I would, every year I would try something kind of different. And, yeah. um, you know, like I tried the marathon in 99, I can remember it. Everyone was like, you can't do a marathon. And I'm like, I don't know if I can do yeah. a marathon, you know, it's, and then you do it and you know, yeah, it, it was hard and yeah. it was really difficult, but then you come out of that and say, wow, yeah. you know, people were telling me not to do this and that I couldn't do it. And I did it. Yeah. it. It just opens your mind to realize that we're all capable of doing so much more than we realize on a day-to-day -day basis. And for me, it was like, I don't want to have those preconceived barriers anymore. Now I'm not going to go right into the breach in a very um, cavalier way and be unsafe, but I'm really open to trying some of these more advanced um, races like the marathon to sob and everything else, because I feel like I have a good shot at being able to do it and haven't yeah. found my limits. Yet. And, uh, you know, that's empowering. And it was a slow evolution over time. Yeah. And I name a lot of different things that I've tried. I did the American Burka Biner, which is a ski marathon, yeah. um, skate skiing marathon. I'd never skate skied in my life yeah. and finished that. And, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's just fun. Yeah. yeah. And if I fail, I fail and I don't care. Yeah. You know, as long as I've done everything that I can do to put myself in a position to be successful and I fail, then I fail with honor and I fail, uh, out there in the arena and, and, uh, I'm okay with that. And I yeah. think, you know, for me, 15, 20 years ago, I was 
afraid of perception and I didn't want to do something if I was going to fail. And now I just don't care, yeah. you know, it's fine. I'll pick up my, um, you know, sports drink and go back to my car and try it again next week. You know, I think that's the, one of the really magical things about endurance sport in general, even if you're doing multiple things across the board, uh, on a weekly basis is the, the number of opportunities that you get now, granted, if you're training for an Ironman or something, maybe you get one opportunity a year. Um, but the number of opportunities you get to have that mindset of like, well, if I fail, I can just come back next week or next month or whatever it is. And you're right. not so beholden. I think it's a, I think it's a great, um, like take football, for instance, when you lose the game, it's in your record, you know, it's, it's so binary. And you have, I mean, that's right. why when you watch a football game, your palms are sweating, you're, you know, you're rooting for your team to not lose. It's so, it's, there's the gravity is so great. And that's some of what makes football great, but in running and cycling and these different things where you get so many opportunities to prove yourself and to your point, fail, and then prove to yourself right. what happens in failure. Are right. you somebody who quits and walks away? Are you somebody who quit or fails uh, and, and like trains 10 times harder or, you know, gets analytical, those types of things. Yeah, I agree. And one of my favorite analogies, you know, is the gymnast, right? You know, the gymnast can spend an entire year training for something and slip off the pommel horse. And yeah. it's not necessarily a reflection of their talent. It was just that moment in time they had an error. And secondarily, for me, I'm getting the exercise I need as part of the training process. So in some ways, it's all also about the journey, not just yeah. the, the, the race itself. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm content with with all of that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So from a from an Ironman perspective, uh, mm -hmm. first, I'll ask it, irrespective of Parkinson's, which, which like what was your um what was your best skill out of the swim bike run? And then with Parkinson's, what, as far as how it affected? Um, yeah, I think from a time perspective, if you're comparing me to the other participants, the swim is probably one of my stronger areas. Okay. Um, uh, I did decent on the cycling, but it, I did the Wisconsin Ironman, which is quite hilly. It's yeah. actually one of the more hilly of the, the Ironman. And then the run in quotes, you know, um, was I better than I thought it was going to be, but you know, I, I wasn't, um, breaking a lot of, a lot of records on the run for sure. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you, um, did you, did you have aspirations of doing more Ironmans at the time or was it sort of like your attitude back in the day with, um, Chicago in 99, where it was like, let me do this. And then I've got other things to do. Yeah, I I really and I still really do want to do Kona. Okay. You know, and um I I'm not at the level that I can qualify for for Kona. So, um you know, I don't have aspirations of doing a, a more Ironman, but I really wanted to do Kona just because it, it's so iconic and Yeah. Um, it's, I think it's really hard too with the winds and uh, all the, yeah, the heat. climate related issues and everything else. So, yeah. you know, I, I had that, that's still in the back of my brain, you know, a little bit that I, I would love to do that, but yeah. uh, I did quite a few other 
triathlons and we're doing some destination triathlons. I did the Cuba triathlon. I did the South beach triathlon four or five times nice. and did one in San Diego. And I really enjoyed that, you know, just like I enjoy running marathons in different cities, you know, it, I, I enjoy that kind of, uh, uh, ability to see these communities in different ways and, yeah. and the thing. So. Yeah, triathlon's an interesting thing because one, it's I guess maybe it's like the marathon in a way, but once you start doing triathlons, it seems like it it makes everything else seem kind of boring and overly <laughs> simplistic at the time while you're doing them. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing, you know, and just wrapping your head around your own logistics and that with going from three, you know, three different disciplines is uh, can be challenging. So it definitely forces you to. Uh, hyper organized and uh you know attentive so yeah did you have any fear in the water with your parkinson's like was the was the swim i guess i mean it would be the same for the bike like do you have any um is there any kind of vertigo or dizziness or anything like that from the bike perspective and then on the swim perspective are you worried about like the dystonia or something happening while you're on the swim yeah it's interesting um i actually really did well on the swim i felt great i actually helped someone who was having was throwing up in the water mm. and um, uh, really didn't have a problem with that but subsequent um, times you know i was doing some training to swim long distances last year and um, was actually considering swimming across lake michigan which is about a 60 mile swim and i was working my way up to eight, nine mile swims, I was in that five to seven range and wow. had this kind of freezing effect, not freezing from the cold, but um, freezing from the Parkinson's where I couldn't move my arms and legs while I was swimming. Wow. Now, I never experienced that on the shorter distances of the 1500 or two miles or yeah. any of that. But when I got into this five to six mile thing, um, yeah, body just shut down. It was really, really scary. I've never had that problem on land, but it is a common problem with Parkinson's, the, mm. the gait freezing and um, people do freeze when they walk and things like that. I just experienced it in the water. Did it happen more than once? Not convenient. Yeah, it happened, happened three times. Three times. Um, I actually tried a different medication um, that they have that is fast acting but it was really hard to administer because it was a powder and I had to take it in the water and it wasn't working fast enough. So I felt my life was actually at risk. I mean, I literally one time just filled my lungs up and just floated on my back in the water. And I wow. said, you know, I can't continue to do this because it's too risky. For wow. Me. Were you training so, in a pool or Lake Michigan or where were you training? I was swimming in Lake Michigan. I had wow. a knee injury um, and uh, I was advised by my physical therapist to swim. So I started swimming every day in Lake Michigan. I started off in the spring. It was 50 degree water. I had a beanie cap and a full wetsuit. And uh, then I progressed into the summer and uh, was I really loved it. It was so peaceful in the mornings to swimming in the lake. It's but uh, yeah, it's not good when you're putting all your intensity into trying to move your fingers or your hands and you can't move. Yeah. So, well, this is again, this is why I, I said you're a savage. Most, you know, like your physical therapist tells you to start swimming. And so you immediately go for a, <laughs> start training for a 60 mile swim in Lake Michigan. 
Yeah, well, you know, again, I'm putting something out there when I wake up in the morning and I feel terrible, which happens with Parkinson's a lot. You know, I'll feel locked up or uh, can't get out. Sometimes it takes me a half hour to get out of bed in the morning. Yeah. It'd be really easy for me just to sit there and lay there and go back to sleep. That'd be the easiest course. But um, I, having these goals out there, and I actually now put my phone in my bathroom, so I have to get up and go t- turn it off. That's a good um, idea. First step, getting that first step out of bed is yeah. really I so. tend to slam that snooze button a few too many times in the morning. Yeah, put it in the bathroom, then you have to go get it. It's a good idea. Yeah. It's a good idea. Do Life you? Hates it. But, yeah. As far as running shoes go, do you go for like a like a Hoka big big cushy shoe, or is a minimal better? What do, are you, or is just the same shoe you've always worn? Um, my foot history is quite remarkable. Um, long story short, is I've been running in wide toe box shoes now, and I found they're the only shoes that work for me. So like I've an been ultra running kind of thing, ultras and topos. Mm, okay. And I love the cushioning on the Hoka's and I ran probably six or seven marathons in Hoka's, but they're even the wider Hoka's just don't work with my feet for some reason. And, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of toenails, uh, on the side of the road. <clears throat> yeah. I hear you on that one. I'm, I think I'm missing three right now. I like the ultras. They're, they're kind of a weird shoe to get used to because at first your foot kind of feels like it's swimming a little bit. Right. Um, the, your forefoot. And then after a while you start to realize like how, how comfortable that ends up being on a long run. Yeah. And I really discovered those on I, that long walk I took, uh, in the U S and, um, you know, as my feet, I think actually swelled up a little bit from this long, longer term walking, um, really helped a lot and, uh, solved a lot of foot problems for me. So, um, I've been running in these um, ultras and the topus and kind of going back and forth and I've been really happy with them. And, you know, I, I think, you know, and you know this too, that uh, it's just such a personal thing. It, yeah. It's just some shoes work better for, for you and some just won't. So. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough thing. I'm, like the bikes are so different cause you kind of get on a bike and you can get fit for the most part for to just about any bike, but like shoes are, I, I reluctantly accidentally bought a pair of Nikes. Um, I, I was in Paris for business and they lost my luggage a few years back and I, it was gone for like three days. And so like on the end of the second day, I was so cooped up. I needed to go for a run and I walked the streets of Paris looking for a running specialty store, which I could not find anywhere. And they happened to be like a Nike town. And so I walked in there. I bought the cheapest pair of Nike I could find because I was literally just going to throw them away at the end of the run. And I ended up falling in love with them. They were a, they were like the previous year's model of a Nike Terra Tiger, which is just a, a trail shoe. And I ended up running on the Paris cobbles for like 18 miles that night and felt fantastic. So gun to my head i never would have thought that i would like a nike running shoe but i loved it it was great so oh, well that's an amazing story how it happened too plus not no better place to lose your clothing <laughs> and get hopefully some stipend in paris i actually had my luggage lost in southern china and uh, six foot four individuals do not find not only do they not find running oh shoes that God. fit them they don't find anything that fits them not in china i am a foreign in china <laughs> that is absolutely that is the one the one place that I've been 
uh, and all the business trips I've gone where I felt legitimately tall everywhere I went. <laughs> right. It was fantastic. That's it was funny. great. So you just mentioned something that I'm sure maybe piqued some of the listeners' ears up. The, you, you mentioned a long walk in the, in the U.S. Again, speaking to your savage nature, some of us go for a long walk, which is uh, my wife and I at the start of COVID, we went for a 10-mile walk and thought we had just, uh, you know, uh, went to the moon and back, but, um, you did a little bit longer walk. I think you, you exceeded the 10 miles by a couple. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, in 2017, um, was starting to struggle with long distance running, which I've subsequently corrected a little bit through, um, a lot of hard work and trial and error, but, um, tried to come up with, uh, something I could do that was challenging that involved walking. And um, I wanted to do a fundraiser for Parkinson's research and uh, decided I was going to walk across the United States and, um, uh, you know, talk about people telling you you can't do it. Um, I mean, this was unbelievable. I was very fortunate. I got an Olympic strength and conditioning coach and took me down to the biomechanics lab at Armstrong State University, and they digitized my body. This before the walk and was going to help optimize my gait and my shoes. And they were like, you are a hot mess. They're like, your (laughs) rotation is half what a normal person's is. Your right foot's only lifting up four degrees. It should be eight to 12. They they staged an intervention and told me not to do it. No, I'm dead serious, like wow. very serious discussion. Um, and uh, said, there's no way you can walk across the U.S. But what uh, what were they looking at as the worst case scenario? Like, would you do permanent damage to your biomechanics or, or yeah, like they what's thought, the... They, they felt that I was going to screw up my back really bad because of the imbalances mm-hmm. that was going to have problems with my legs they thought it was going to be bad for my disease process everything and you know these are well-intentioned and very knowledgeable people and that they were looking out for me in the most positive way and that was really scary i mean I, i didn't tell anybody about that i mean what are you going to do go home and tell your wife that the foremost expert in strength and conditioning training in america told me that you can't do this and you shouldn't do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. You know, and that's what I ended up doing. Um, But um, back to that fear of failure, my point was if I had a physical problem, then that was going to be severe and potentially detrimental to my longevity that I would just stop. Yeah. You know, I was okay with that. Yeah. Um, So I went for it and the rest is, you know, history. I, I, I did have a lot of physical problems, yeah. uh, but it's a very hard thing. I, I averaged 40, a oh, little over 40 miles a day, every day, back to back with no breaks and, um, I, 2,600 miles. And, um, I ended up completing that in 66 days and, uh, it was the most amazing experience of my life. And, um, I can't even imagine now what life would be like. Have I not done that? It just changed my life in, in many ways. I definitely, I want to have you back on and, and go deep into that. I really do that. That to me was, we, we were doing our, our intro call yesterday where we were talking about things. And I think we made it like 28 minutes into that call 
of a 30 minute call. And then you mentioned that you had walked across the country. I'm like, wait a second, how are we, how are we 28 minutes into this call? And this is the first I've heard of this. So, um, I think it's a great story. I did a little bit of reading on it last night. Um, were the, were the doctors right? Were they right to be like, based on what you experienced, were they right to be that concerned? Do you think? I think so. I do believe they were right. I mean, I, I had major back problems. I had incredible foot problems. Um, but I managed through them and I problem solved and I had a lot of help, uh, from specialists along the way. And, um, uh, and and I changed shoes and that helped a lot too. Like, like you trying your Nike shoe, I um, ended up trying ultras um, on partially that, on that through, walk on like the third week. And uh, at one point I had every size 15 ultra in North America, I think sent <laughs> to a hotel wow. and the company was great. You know, they were really helpful and wow. uh, you know, but just little things like that. Well, it's not a little thing, but things like that. Um, you know, we, we can talk about it later, as you suggest, um, where it's just amazing the help that I had. I mean, I couldn't have done it with all the, without all the help I had, but the, the specialists were right. You know, I did have a lot of physical problems, Yeah, but they were all overcome in the end. So I've got to assume again, like my wife and I kind of made it a habit, um, during COVID we would walk about, eh, about three and a half miles a day, anywhere from like three to five miles a day. And like, I got some plantar fasciitis off of it. I, you know, my lower back was tightening it up. I can't imagine walking 40 miles a day. Is it something that got easier over time or harder? A little bit of both in different ways? Well, it's a really long story. I actually sought out to break the world record for running across the U.S. by walking, just because I don't sleep that much Mm. from the parking. So I started off walking almost 60 miles a day. I think the first four days I averaged 55 miles a day. Um, And then my feet just literally fell to pieces. In Um, in what way? Like you mentioned toenails before, but it was like plantar fasciitis, toenails, everything or in the top off of my left pinky toe. I mean, completely like gone. Um, It was really brutal. Mm. And uh, I made a lot of corrections and, um, actively recovered with all that stuff as I went along. So, yeah, you mentioned size 15 ultras and earlier you said 14 and a half was part of that going up or do ultras just run a half size small? Um, I, my feet were swelling up. Um, I, I have so many pictures. It's unbelievable. Um, you know, just because I was walking 19, 20 hours a day kind of a thing. Um, there's just not much recovery and you wake up and your feet are swollen basically. So I needed a, a one size larger shoe than I normally wear just to account for the foot swell. Wow. When you're walking uh, across, uh, how much of this is just, you're just walking down the main boulevard on the sidewalk? Were you, were you taking running trails? Like what was the. Yeah. Um, I was walking on everything you can think of um, from interstates to um, back roads, dirt roads. I went through the San Carlos Reservation in New Mexico. I never saw another person for a day and a half. Wild horses running by. Just the most incredible thing to see the kind of 
progression of topography and the people across the nation was just amazing. Um, yeah, so I, I walked in everything you can think of, uh, you know, no medians and the mountains and, you know, all sorts of hiding against the rock like this, waiting, listening for traffic and then running a few feet and then pulling against the rock. And wow. It was, a, it was a great adventure. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds awesome. That really does sound, sound amazing. Do, how do you keep yourself, like, how do you keep your mind occupied? Were you doing, were you taking pictures the whole time? Were you talking to other people, podcasts, music? Yeah, I had so many people come out and walk with me. Uh, every day, pretty much someone came out and walked with me. Wow. And um, you know, people I had never, 95% were people I'd never met before. And some of them I have considered now my best friends, like, you know, wow. we relationships and things like that over the last couple of years. But yeah, I mean, you know, it was amazing. And um, in the off times when I would have lunch and stuff like that, which still was pretty quick, I would talk to people in the restaurant and was trying to organically find someone each day. The original idea was to organically find someone each day with Parkinson's. And I wasn't sure I could do that or someone that had a connection to Parkinson's. And yeah. it was overwhelming. I mean, the, from 15 minutes into the walk of the first day, I found a guy at an ice cream shop. Yeah, I was eating ice cream right away. <laughs> uh, his teacher had Parkinson's, you know, and it wow. was, and I just had this mosaic of, America, um, organically that was so inspiring and just so incredibly, uh, powerful that, uh, you know, it, it reinvigorated my kind of belief in how good people are in, in wow. general. And, uh, it just, it was amazing. So I just had so many people to talk to that, uh, it, uh, it was never, never a dull moment. That's awesome. What, what have you learned along the way between the walk and, and, um, you mentioned just how, you know, great people are and all that, but the, what have you learned about yourself in this journey through Parkinson's over the last, um, you know, do dozen or so years, I guess? Yeah, I, I learned, you know, I kind of equated back to when I was a kid playing soccer with my sister and I punched a ball through the window of my house. And my dad said, you know what glazing is? And I'm like, no. He goes, oh, we're going to go to the hardware store. You're going to learn. You know, I grew up in a house where you fix things yourself mm. or you tried to fix things yourself first. And um, what I've learned is that, you know, like on the walk, we talked about all the physical problems I had, but having a uh, positive attitude and problem solving and having persistence gets me through pretty much everything. And I always look internally first when I can to find the answer, um, whatever that may be, whether it's, uh, you know, I'm fatigued and I need to keep going. I, I keep going and eventually things get better or I have a physical problem. Uh, I don't just resign myself to that problem. If I'm having a problem with my foot, I try and engineer my shoe differently. I had three sets of laces so I could put three different pressure points on my feet and the shoes, mm. you know, and those types of things. So I, what I've learned is that um, you can pretty much 
persevere through almost anything um, if you have a positive attitude and you stay persistent and you are open to problem solving. Yeah, it kind of wraps into that whole not being afraid to fail too, just not being able to look silly or, or like you said, buck the, um, the best advice of the foremost authorities to just say, well, I appreciate it, but uh, I'm going to go try it anyway. Right. Right. And, you know, um, I think, like I said before, I, I want to make it clear that, you know, I'm not being frivolous with my own safety and everything else. Um, but yet I still find, uh, find challenging myself really yeah. important and uh, not finding these boundaries, um, has just been really invigorating and, you know, uh, like with the walk, I went out to inspire people with what I was doing to exercise, but I got so much more out of it that I, I was inspired every day by the people that have kind of supported me. And that was the biggest surprise in this whole thing. Yeah. And it's not like you were being cavalier. I mean, you talked about the, the swim, you know, where you sort of determined that, um, you know, that, that is now too dangerous for me to do the two, you know, putting myself at, at risk isn't, um, right. like with the walk, as you said, you could sort of stop at any time. Although yeah. I got to tell you, Bill, I'd, I, I'd have a hard time coming up with a scenario where short of getting hit by a car on the side of the road, I don't know, I don't know what would have caused you to quit based on what I've heard so far. Yeah, that's fair. But you know, it's not like evil Knievel where he set up this right. thing to jump over Caesar's palace and the crowds out there and he realizes he's not feeling good. He, you know, like with this, this swim, I had hired, got a friend to get a boat and I had put together the marketing materials. I'd talked to hundreds of people about it, started to socialize it. It was out there as an event. And I said, you know what? It's not safe for me to do it. I'm going to pull it back. And some people are probably going to be disappointed, but it's not safe and I'm not going to, not going to go for it. So, you know, I have no problem in, in doing that. And, uh, like I said before, I'm okay if I fail miserably at any of this stuff. Um, you know, as long as I'm, as long as I'm doing the best that I can to yeah, put my, yeah. this is an odd question. Um, I like to ask it of, of people in, in not necessarily similar scenarios, but is there, um, is there a part of you that, um, like thankful is never the right word, but, um, that has come to accept this diagnosis as, um, as just a set of challenges and is in some way grateful for, um, as you said, sort of the sense of urgency in your life, the prioritization, those types of things. Like, is there a portion of you that looks at the diagnosis of Parkinson's in your life as a positive? Yeah, um, I don't think that's an odd question, although I can't think of anybody's ever asked me that, but that's a very good question and it's right on. And, you know, I was a workaholic before and um, I was just, I'd work till 2 a.m. every night and then I just push the button and hit repeat the next day. And I was kind of oblivious to a lot of other things, whether it be my family or uh, my friends and everything else. This completely 100% caused me to think about what was really important to me in spending my time 
in my life and the type of legacy that I want to have looking back on my life, probably 15, 20 years earlier than it would have kind of come as a natural course of like a normal retirement and that kind of thing. So um, I am very grateful for that wake up call because it's afforded me a perspective that I never would have had. And I've really developed uh, more deep relationships with my family and some of my friends. And uh, I really charted a path to try and do what I feel could make an impact in the world in a positive way beyond just kind of the normal work course that I would be following if I hadn't had the diagnosis. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you seem to be living a life that is um, just so filled with purpose and frankly, a life that I think a lot of myself included people listening uh, are in, in a lot of ways envious of. And so the um, uh, yeah, I appreciate the candor in answering that question. It's always a, yeah. the, I don't know the like the happy endings and, you know, the easy stories are not the ones that they, you know, that they write. Right. And so it's, it's the, there is the overcoming of challenges and things like that. And so while you're going through it, it may be difficult to look at like, why do I have to go through this challenge to, to have this story? But the reality is, is the simple answer yeah. is you do. Yeah. And, you know, I'm an engineer, so I think of things in vectors sometimes. And a vector is something that has a positional component to it, a directional component, and then a a, a kind of trajectory component. And if I'm on a mission to help people, and that's a vector, right, that's an arrow, I can push myself as hard as I want on that direction and not feel conflicted at all, because I know that no matter what I do, and how far I get, it's going to be a positive kind of uh, add to the world and to the community and everything else. And that selfishly is is just life changing because it's such a simple thing where I don't wake up conflicted with 50 different things in my head. It's like, no, I'm doing this. And if I ruffle a few feathers on the side of the road, then fine, because I'm I'm doing something that's positive and it's beneficial and it's helping people. And it's a philosophy then that really simplifies kind of your judgment on how to spend your time and, and what you worry about, you know, on a day-to-day basis. And uh, selfishly, it's, uh, it's very freeing. So, yeah, there's a big component of, uh, of this diagnosis that has been very beneficial to me. Um, Something overall. tells me I'm going to go back and listen to what you just said uh, every day for the next month. That was really well said. That was... Uh, oh. Yeah, that was uh, that definitely gives me a lot to think about. I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. So this is the point in the podcast. We normally do a 10-question dash. I'm trimming the question list down. I'm trying to get to five really good questions. Right now we're at seven. Do you want to answer some questions and get to know yeah, a little sure. bit more about you? Cool. All right, so I'm going to play my little theme music here. Um, mm-hmm. So pretty simple. Um, no wrong answers, obviously, but just uh, only honest answers, if you will, please. So um, next race, uh, swim, bike, run, OCR. Sounds like you're going to be doing some running races coming up. Yeah, next race is, uh, they just confirmed, it looks like it's going forward, is the Marathon de Saab, which is April 2nd in the Sahara Desert. Boom. Nice. That sounds awesome. Uh, favorite sports movie or book or other medium 
I am really into documentaries right now and the Maradona documentary, not the one on Netflix, but the one on HBO uh, blew my mind. Like, just blew my mind. What is it? I haven't even heard of that one. Maradona is a, a soccer, Argentinian soccer player. And oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he goes to play in Italy uh, for a team in Italy that's kind of maligned in, in the Euro League. And he, what he does in it's just incredible. Got it. Okay, I'll have to give that a watch. Is he the one who just died not too long ago? Yes, okay. I think he did like a week and a half ago. Yeah. Okay, got it. What is your favorite race? Oh, boy. My favorite. You know what? I love the Chicago Marathon, and it's, we'll call it that. All right, very good. What is uh, what is the bucket list race that you haven't yet done that uh, would be the one to... I still really want to do, we talked about it earlier, so it's a little boring of an answer, but it's true. I want to do the Ironman in Kona. Okay, Kona, nice. Uh, home stretch song or band on your playlist? Do you listen to music while you while you race or train? Yeah, I, I definitely do. Um, I go all over the map on genres, but the home stretch, um, let's call it Thunderstruck by ACDC. Oh, very nice. Else is coming to mind. Okay, nice. What's the most embarrassing uh, song or artist you have on your playlist? Oh God, I I was listening to. Um, I'm just going to be totally honest. I was listening to uh, Grease, the theme song Grease, the other day. <laughs> you know what? I really like this song, and I'm looking over my shoulder to see if anybody's watching me. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I should admit this, but uh, yeah, I think it was because of my age and the insane crush I had on Olivia Newton-John when I was yeah. in like third grade or whatever it was. That Grease still has a sweet spot in my heart. So. Totally, that's the scene I was watching the video. Yeah, that's that. awesome. Uh, living or dead, who would you most like to share a long run with? Oh, boy. Who would I most like to share a long run with? It would have to be a runner, I guess. Would be hey, you, could, you, could... you stumped me. I Uh-oh. can't even think of You know, it's my wife. How about that? Boom. We were supposed to run the New York Marathon. Oh, that's and right. We're going to run it again. So All I've right. never run it. Good answer. Uh, do you have pre-race ritual or superstition? I always take my bibs and crunch them up, and everyone always yells at me. I oh. don't know why you do it. Well, you got to make sure that you don't bend the timing tag. That's the only thing <laughs> that you have to watch out for. Right. <laughs> uh, let's see. Elgin, then final question, Bill. This is going to be a good one for you. What is the secret? I think you gave part of this earlier. Yeah. Um, the secret is... is persistence amen the secret is persistence amen well i think that's a good place to uh cross the finish line uh on this podcast oh great great. i really enjoyed the conversation likewise thank you so much for sharing your story i really appreciate it that was um uh you know after talking to you yesterday i knew that there were going to be some good nuggets in there and um you know you're frankly you're just a really inspiring guy and and uh I'm sorry that it took the Parkinson's diagnosis for the rest of the world to come to know you, but um, I think it's uh, you've got a lot of great stories to tell, and uh, cool. it was an honor to, to talk to you today. 
Well, hey, Troy, thank you. And thanks for the opportunity to share my story with your audience as well. And uh, like I said, I really, really enjoyed it. It was uh, it was fun. So and I got to use my new microphone. There you go. Yeah, it sounds great. It sounds really good. I wish everybody had one of those. I've done a couple of recordings recently where I was just kind of cringing. It was tough to get a good sound out of it. So I think you sound fantastic in my ears. Well, yeah, my phone went off and we disconnected once, so I distinguished myself as not the best technical partner, but that's okay. Oh, it's fine. I think you comported yourself quite amazingly. So <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for crossing the finish line with me here. So we'll, we're going to wrap this up now. And that is the show. So hope you enjoyed it. More people racing more often, having more fun in the process is our mission. Thanks again to Bill Bucklew for sharing his story, making us think, and hopefully start being a more savage version of ourselves. The best way to support this podcast is to be sure to click subscribe on iTunes or follow on Spotify to be notified of new shows and give us a rating and a quick review on iTunes. It really helps. Uh, We do a special post for each episode on Instagram. So look for the post for episode 16 with a picture of Bill if you have comments or questions. We are at Athlinks or shoot us an email to podcast at athlinks.com. Share it with friends far and wide and help spread the word. Tell people about it when you're in line at the grocery store. Uh, And until next time, happy racing, everybody. 